You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. With our Equipping the Saints program, we dig deep into certain topics or certain parts of God's Word with an eye toward holy living. God has redeemed us freely completely by the holy precious blood of Jesus. And now, in that freedom, in that forgiveness, God's word teaches us and guides us how to live. This is uh, not salvation by works. It is simply being a Christian. Today is episode 21. We have a broader topic of Christian ethics that we've been looking at. Uh, we've narrowed that down to the uh, area of sexual ethics. We've looked quite a bit at marriage and divorce. And now in um, episode 21, we want to continue the discussion that we had in our previous episode as we are doing a study of 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 16. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 16. We looked at verses 1 through 9 in our previous episode, and so today we want to pick up with 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10. Uh, Vicar, I'm going to have you read that whole section, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 16, and uh, then I'm just going to ask for some general comments from you, Pastor Moline, with regard to uh, what we've covered so far in verses 1 through 9. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. All right, Vicar, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 16. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. 
To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but, as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? There you have it, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 16. As I uh, already mentioned, we, uh, we've covered the uh, first nine verses in, in pretty good detail. Pastor, uh, any, any comments or observations with regard to those first nine verses? Well, I think what they're doing, uh, as we've kind of talked about, is explaining what it means to be a Christian who is married, or really, uh, we could say, expanding upon the sixth commandment and what it looks like, uh, husband and wife love and honor each other. And so it's going into all the practical questions that come up because that. And I really love it because Paul does a good job of saying, well, this is what the Lord says, and then this is what I say uh, based on what the Lord says. And in this, he is able to kind of at least begin to set up a Christian ethic for what uh, sexual relations look like. So when Paul says, uh, you know, I say this, not the Lord, uh, he he's not uh, just like giving his personal opinion and you can take it or leave it? No, and he's not basing it upon his own feelings or upon the way the world is working right now or the times that he's facing. Uh, if we wanted to get into the times that he's living in, uh, it looked a lot like today. <laughs> and so you know the things that he's saying are kind of countercultural. Um, but he's basing all of his arguments upon what the Lord says. And that does involve, as we talked about when we talked about ethics, it does involve extrapolating th- some things because there's not room in the scripture to explain every situation that we can imagine that needs an explanation. I think I think that's very, very important for our hearers. And that's really kind of what we're talking about, like when you listen to a pastor preach. Uh, the pastor is preaching based on God's word. And you can trust, if you have a faithful pastor, you can trust that uh, that word is a word from God. And uh, it's a little bit different with regard to Paul because he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Scripture. And so everything he says is God's word and um, inspired, inerrant, and infallible. So you can take it to the bank. So I'm glad you brought that up. Let's not pit one verse or one thing against another. That is certainly not what is, uh, what is going on in this section. In uh, verse 10, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. 
you want to talk about countercultural? Uh, there we have it, Pastor. So uh, we've been taking everything back to Genesis chapter 2, to God's institution of marriage, this gift of marriage, this gift of sexuality. We want to make sure that we keep everything according to God's word, and we want to make sure we keep the fire in the fireplace. If you don't know what we're talking about, go back to the last two or three segments. We've worked that uh, illustration to the death. Uh, Verse 10, Pastor. Well, even before we get to verse 10, last time we had talked about verse 9, where it says, if you are burning with passion, it's better for you to get married. And uh, I kind of wanted to say last episode, we ran out of time, uh, something crazy. Um, For those who are in the church that are burning with passion and are single, uh, maybe they ought to find someone else in the church that's the same issue uh, and get married to them, to find a spouse in the church and to uh, even get married um, not necessarily for the reasons that the world says to get married because the other person's hunky like uh, you know we are or uh, smart or uh, a good provider, but rather simply because they're a Christian and you are burning with passion, struggling with this particular issue. And uh, I think that also points out that sometimes when we're looking for a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, when we are doing that searching, we have been so corrupted by the world that our minds and our hearts are looking for one thing, and God's Word tells us that the most important thing that we should be looking for is a a spouse, or even when dating, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, someone who shares the same faith, shares the same values. Uh, You know, back in the olden days when uh, a young man would come to the front door and uh, hope to pick up uh, the daughter of the house for a date, the dad would say, okay, son, um, what are your intentions? Are your intentions noble? Are your intentions pure? Are your intentions honorable? And nowadays, uh, parents rarely think about that, and kids would be horrified if their parents tried to interject in a, into their uh, relationship that way. Am I right? You are, and I think um, here, too, we could talk about what the purpose of dating is, right? Um, the purpose of dating is to find someone to get married to. It's not primarily to go and have fun. It's not primarily to sow your your oats, or is that the, is that the way they said it when you were a kid, Pastor Poppy? Go sold oh, wild hey. oats. Yeah, back in the old um, days. Yeah, or, nowadays nowadays they say friends with benefits, or even to uh, find a, uh, a leg up economically. Right. The purpose of dating is to find a Christian person to marry, uh, to support each other in this union that God has created and instituted before the fall into sin and blessed uh, with his presence uh, at the wedding of Cana, et cetera, et cetera. Um, What about companionship? I think that's a big part of it, right? Uh, To have and to hold till death do us part to... You visit people in the nursing home just like I do, you know, um, and uh, those who have lost their spouse, it's a really hard thing to be alone, to face disease or sickness alone. Um, How many times have you seen a, a couple... Uh, who one spouse is taking care of the other spouse uh, when they're in a time of need. 
that is a part of what marriage is providing. And all these things are blessings from God. God is working through this institution then to grant these blessings to us. And that goes back to that one flesh union that God has given us, that God says, teaches us, really characterizes the marriage relationship. So So verse 9 is highlighting the burning with passion. And parents and, should talk to their kids about this. <laughs> uh, they, they should. And uh, I'm thinking here, you know, with regard to the companionship, uh, sometimes people are older and they find themselves single, uh, not because they wanted to, maybe because of death or whatever reason. And if you're looking for companionship, if you're looking for a traveling partner, uh, some, so many of the things that some of our older folks talk about now, these same principles apply. You want someone with good intentions. You want someone who uh, shares the same faith that you do. You don't want to be constantly tempted um, away from God's word. And if you're tempted sexually, even in your golden years, then get married or um, scrap that relationship. Is that fair? I'd say that is uh, essentially what Paul is saying. And I know you, you talked about golden years. That brings up a whole different ball of wax, right? Because golden years, if you are a widow or a widower, there's uh, money involved, perhaps children who are looking to inherit that money from your first relationship. uh, And that makes things a lot more complicated. It doesn't give us an excuse to not do the right things. Uh, We still need to act as Christians and uh, realize that the money and all that stuff is secondary. I think what you've uh, described there, Pastor, is a great example of situation ethics and God never condones situation ethics all of his ethics flow from his word this is equipping the saints we need to take a short break we'll be right back you are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM Lincoln Nebraska Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We are looking at the general topic of Christian ethics, more specifically sexual ethics, more specifically marriage, God's gift of marriage, and more specifically yet, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I was hoping we were going to get into verse 10 in our last segment. Well, we just had so much more to talk about with regarding 1 Corinthians 7 verse 9 in our uh, first segment. And so uh, let's pick up with verse 10. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. And uh, the question that I asked there, Pastor, was, or I guess the observation, more than a question, was uh, this is about as countercultural as it gets. First of all, the wife should not separate from her husband. Makes it sound like, uh, like women are property and they have no rights whatsoever. Uh, it also sounds like... Um, 
You know, the world would say if you find yourself in a bad relationship, you got to take care of yourself first. You got to take care of number one. And uh, for your own uh, health and mental being, you need to separate from all those things that cause you anxiety or cause you to feel less good about yourself. And verse 10 sounds, uh, sounds pretty clear. Uh, God does not like this kind of separation. What do you say? It's exactly true. And you see here Paul, um, the way he says it, the Lord says this, not me, uh, indicates that he is going back to a teaching of God. And we could say, okay, so where is he going back to? We could go back to Genesis uh, chapter 2. We could say, uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, we could also go back to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, which I think is probably more accurate as to where Paul is going, who says in Matthew chapter 19, uh, therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, first off, that's really important for us to see uh, Paul is quoting Jesus. Uh, Paul all the time says, um, what I receive from Jesus, now I'm passing on to you. And this could be another instance where we could see that he's referencing the words of the Lord, indicating to us that the scriptures are not something invented later, uh, but rather at least an oral tradition existed at the time of St. Paul, writing this in about 5354 AD. Now, um, we see that idea then that we've just quoted from both Genesis 2 and from Matthew 19, that in marriage, husband and wife become one. And so, you know, Pastor Poppy, you're one flesh right now. If I was to grab a hold of, you know, one arm and vicar the other arm and we pulled until one of them came off, how would that feel? Uh, that would feel very nasty. Yeah, not, not too fun, right? It's I only mean, a flesh wound. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, that's a boomerism, uh, Vicar, just so you know. Yeah. Uh, millennials know Monty Python, too. Okay. Um, okay. Um, anyways, uh, God has joined together uh, husband and wife as one flesh, and ripping apart a flesh hurts. It causes pain. It causes division. It's not something that God wants. And so Paul is really driving that home point. Uh, point home here by teaching against divorce because it is against God's teaching of marriage. So we have verse 10 here. Is is this um, specifically um, some kind of an anti-woman kind of a thing when he says the woman uh, should not or the wife should not separate from her husband? Right. No, it is not. And so, again, we need to go back and look at what's going on. Uh, in the early church, when St. Paul is traveling around, uh, a lot of the people who are converting to Christianity to begin with are the women. Uh, and the women are converting to Christianity because it is something better than they were being given in the pagan society. And if you understand uh, what's going on in our world today, you can see uh, we're not that different. You know, pagan America is not that different from pagan Rome. Uh, and so Christianity actually gives value to women as more than just a domestic house servant uh, with, with benefits, I think maybe would be the way to say it. And so women are converting to Christianity, but oftentimes their husbands were not, at least not to begin with. And so they're asking a practical question to St. Paul. Uh, this is what Paul's responding to in 1 Corinthians. They're asking all sorts of questions, and one of the questions was, if I 
am a Christian, but my husband is not. Should I leave him so that I can marry a Christian? And so Paul is answering that very specific question here with this practical information. And that'll become clear as we keep going. That's why we don't want to cherry pick one verse and then try to build some kind of a theology based on one verse outside of its context. I know when... um, uh, when David Preuss, Dr. Preuss, was uh, working in the Dominican Republic, he found this culture very, very rampant uh, in the Dominican Republic, where the men thought religion was for women and children, and the men were men. And they would work, and they would sit around and smoke their cigars and pontificate or play baseball to try to work out of the uh, economic uh difficulties in the Dominican Republic, and he said he had a really, really hard time uh, in that culture dealing with men because they didn't want anything to do with him. And at the same time, he had a difficulty dealing with women because men were protective of the family and women and didn't want some other man talking to their woman. And so it was, uh, it was really, really challenging mission work in that culture and in that context. Uh, I think here uh, we've lost some of that um, male protecting of the female or the wife or whatever and it's just kind of everybody does their own thing everybody goes their own way and if the wife wants to go to church fine uh but don't talk to me um it's beneath me i think i think we see a lot of that don't you I do, and I think the thing here is uh, it's important, if you are a Christian and your spouse is not, uh, that that not be the reason uh, for you to get a divorce, but rather uh, as a Christian in understanding what marriage is and how it reflects God's relationship with the church, that you faithfully fulfill your end of the marriage deal, uh, whatever end that be, whether you be husband or wife, uh, and... um, And by doing that, it's possible, though perhaps unlikely sometimes, uh, it's possible that you will um, benefit your spouse faith-wise in the long run. And that's coming. That's coming toward the end of our section here that we want to study. But first, we got to look at verse 11, which is really a continuation of verse 10. The uh, first part of verse 11 in many translations is in parentheses. But if she does, she should remain, and that is separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. That's the part that's in parentheses. And then he continues, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So here we have, uh, this, is, this command from the Lord is for both the husband and wife. Don't separate. Don't get divorced. Don't do it. Uh, there are there are other things uh, that you should be doing, and that's working toward reconciliation. God loves reconciliation. That's why he sent Jesus. And Paul is saying something here that's not popular uh, and that we're going to perhaps get angry letters about, right? Uh, um, if you are divorced, then you should stay single and not get remarried to someone who's not your spouse from before. What God wants is for husband and wife to reconcile. And, and what are you basing that on? Is this Moline saying this, no. or is this the Bible saying listen, this? Listen to what Paul said. If she does divorce, she should remain unmarried 
or be reconciled to her husband. Now, you can interpret but, but it differently. It, How do you in, interpret but it? But that's in parentheses, Pastor. <laughs> is that really the word of God? It's not in parentheses in the Greek because <laughs> there is no parentheses in Greek. It's yes. very, very clear. I mean, the, the Greek doesn't have any questions. Eon de kai koriste meneto agamos. If you get divorced, remain unmarried unless you reconcile with your spouse. It's, I mean, we don't do a very good job following these words, and we, we do make exceptions, but that is, I mean, maybe you interpret it differently. No, of course I don't <laughs> interpret it differently. It's clear. It's clear as the pug nose on my face. Uh, it's, it's there. It's in God's word. Because it is unpopular, we don't teach it. We don't preach it. We avoid uh, these sections of scripture, especially 1 Corinthians 7, for a lot of reasons. Um, we talked about this in the previous episode about, uh, you know, giving conjugal rights to your spouse. Uh, uh, if that doesn't get us in trouble, uh, speaking that part of God's word, this is really nothing compared to that. But um, it, is, it is true. And how many times, I mean, just think about this practically. How many times don't we see this happen where someone runs from one marriage, they don't reconcile, maybe even don't make an attempt to reconcile, and then they jump into another relationship, another marriage, and that one fails more quickly than the previous one, and it becomes, it becomes a vicious cycle. It's nothing new to our times. Jesus at the woman at the well, she was in that vicious cycle as well. Uh, this is how sin works. It grabs us and it drags us down and it doesn't want to let go. And it certainly doesn't want us to listen to the word of God. And the reason that Paul says that I mean, I know it's a hard thing, and if, if you're a person listening uh, who has remarried someone who wasn't your first spouse, um, the forgiveness of Christ covers all sin. We need to make that part clear at the same time as well. But Paul wants us to really believe the words that institute marriage, that for this reason a man shall leave his father and wife and hold fast to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And so it makes it really complicated when you're one flesh with lots and lots of people. Uh, And that's something that God has not designed and does not want. And that's the reason for what Paul is saying, because he is actually upholding and believing the words that have instituted marriage from our Lord God. And we need, uh, if if some of you are really, uh, you know, wow, I've never heard this before, uh, feeling guilty or ashamed or questioning with regard to this particular topic, I would just beg you, keep listening to the program. When we get to verse 15, it will answer some of the questions that you may be having with regard to this. You should remain single. uh, You should reconcile. Because sometimes reconciliation is impossible. Sometimes the other person has died. Sometimes the other person has remarried, and there you sit. There, there is no possibility for reconciliation. God's word addresses that as well, but we have a few other verses before we get to that. Pastor, um, before we leave verse 11, the husband should not divorce his wife. It seems like we've been uh, maybe addressing women quite a bit here in this topic just because that's the way it's laid out for us. Is what we're saying any different for the man, for the husband, than what we have just said for the woman? 
Not if we believe the words of God that instituted marriage, husband shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so all the things we've just talked about go both ways. And what God has joined together, let not man separate. If you really believe that God is the one doing the doing in marriage and bringing two people together, two becoming one, then these words make perfect sense. This is Equipping the Saints. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship. We gather for divine service every Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. We worship also on Wednesday evenings year-round at 6.30. We'd love to have you come and join us and uh, hear and receive God's gifts and join in praise to God for all of his wonderful gifts, including God's gift of marriage. We're working our way through 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 16. We are through verse 11. Vicar, to uh, refresh our minds, do you want to read verses 12 to 16? To the rest, I say... I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but, as it is, they are holy. But, If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Uh, We saved the uh, tricky, exciting, interesting, mysterious parts for uh, our last two segments here. And uh, we've got a basic principle that's laid down in verses 12 and 13, and then we have some explanation for that principle following in verses 14 through 16. And we also have a couple of topics that uh, almost blow your mind when you read them. And so uh, I pray that uh, this will be a fruitful discussion for our hearers. First of all, uh, Vicar, what is the basic principle that God, through the Apostle Paul, is laying down in verses 12 and 13. Uh, I think basically he's just saying, um, if you agreed to be married, don't get a divorce for no reason. Uh, God has given you to each other in marriage for a purpose. So don't think that you can just decide to throw it away for any arbitrary reason. Uh, Marriage is still 
instituted by God, whether it's outside of the church or within the church. And I think that's I think that's spot on. I think it's even more than that because we keep having this unbeliever word thrown in there. Pastor, uh, building on what Vicar just says, what what additional aspect uh, is uh, this principle teaching us in verses 12 and 13? Yeah, this one is a tough one, isn't it? Um, because we have what Paul writes here, but we also have the words of our Lord in the Old Testament in terms of the people of Israel inheriting the promised land uh, and whether or not they should intermarry with the pagans, uh, or even, for example, King Solomon, right, uh, who was led astray by marrying unbelieving women. And so uh, we need to take a step back here and consider what Paul's saying. Paul is talking about if you have gotten married and are married, and then you convert that you should not just automatically divorce that spouse again just like we've said if you're a believer a brother and your wife is not believing that you should not just divorce her for that reason but you should be a faithful spouse and a part of that being a faithful spouse is continuing to uh to use the example uh in the gospel of john with philip and nathaniel say to that spouse come with me to church Come and see Jesus. Come and hear about Christ. Um, And in that way, you uh, have the potential to make that spouse holy, right? how what by osmosis or what i, I you know help well, me out here that's Pastor. that's an important thing right because what is the way that people come to the christian faith it is through god's word uh and so the word that's used here hagiastheto uh is the same word that's used in the lord's prayer when it says hallowed be thy name god's name is kept holy when the word of god is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of god also lead holy lives according to it um, and in so doing, uh, God's will is done here on earth um, because we hallow God's name. And that's the key then. Word of God, truth and purity to your spouse who's an unbeliever. Inviting, come and see, come and hear about Christ, come to church with me. Continually doing that holds the potential for the Holy Spirit to call, gather, and enlighten and sanctify that spouse as a Christian. And even, uh, I, I would also add, if you're doing devotions and things at home, that could be another thing, too, uh, a small introduction that, well, I'm, I'm reading this devotion here. Do you mind if I read it out loud? Do you want to come and, and hear this with me, too? Um, and we could talk about this a little bit. That would even be a little bit of a less of, of a pressure than, hey, come to church and come and do this and that. It's, it's an easy way to get exposed to God's Word that way as well. I think, I think that is important. And, uh, you know, in this culture, as you've talked about and taught us quite a bit, Pastor, there are many, many adults who are coming to faith at this time. And uh, for whatever reason, the women seem to be giving a uh, better hearing, at least in part, to the gospel. And so we have many women who are converted to Christianity and find themselves married to an unbeliever. This is a very, very practical question. And so what, uh, if I'm reading this right, and if I'm understanding our discussion right, what Paul is saying is being married to an unbeliever is not grounds for divorce, not according Correct. to God's word. Is, is, uh, is that too bold of a statement to say it that way? No, I think that's a great way to say it. And I think then, too, that's where we also need to say, um, to go back to what the Old Testament teaches, 
If you are already a Christian and unmarried, it's not necessarily a good thing to go marry a pagan and to say, well, I'll just convert them later on. <laughs> we have to uphold both of these things as true. If you are married and become a Christian, you should stay married. It's not a ground for divorce if your spouse doesn't. If you are a Christian and you're looking to get married, you should look to marry a Christian. And, uh, you know, it's not only in the Old Testament, Pastor. I, I agree with you. I think you're, you're spot on. Vicar, would you, uh, would you take a look at for, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14? And uh, when, we're, when we're talking about, um, you know, people who are married and, and find themselves, maybe they didn't realize what they were doing earlier. Maybe they uh, became adult converts to the faith, whatever. These words are crystal clear. But to those who are not married... For whatever reason, if you are single and you find yourself uh, searching for a spouse, God's word is is very, very clear. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14, Pastor, or Vicar. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Uh, does it go on in verse 15 then with that same topic, or does it, does it move on? Uh, yeah, verse 15. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. So, Pastor, based on those two verses, 2 Corinthians six fourteen and 15, <clears throat> I would say, and please correct me if I'm saying this too strongly, I would say that not only is a Christian marrying a diehard unbeliever uh, not a good idea, I would say it's sin. Is that, is that too strong of a statement? I, I don't think so. I think um, if you go throughout all the pages of Scripture, you see how knowingly doing that, holds the potential to lead you astray. And I know we could find examples where it doesn't, right? I know we can say that there are times where it turns out for the better. Praise God. He, he does work uh, as he promises. And yet he tells us very clearly to watch out for this for that reason. Because the most important thing is Jesus. And that has to be the primary relationship. And if you aren't a Christian, that's a hard thing to understand. Now, as we said, it's not grounds to divorce someone if you convert after you're married. You ought to be a faithful spouse, um, and uh, that can be good for your spouse. You also ought to know that it uh, can make things very difficult and holds uh, potential to cause difficulties, and you need to be aware of that as well. There, there are many, many situations that this can apply to. And, uh, you know, I've lived long enough to see a lot of them. Uh, you have young people who just don't think about these things. And they get married, they fall in love, they're infatuated, they fall in love, and all of a sudden, later on in life, they realize, oh, wow, this is a big deal. I should have listened to mom and dad, I should have listened to the word of God, but I didn't. And now they find themselves in this situation. This is now where the, the last verses here in this section that we're looking at is talking about that finding yourself in this situation is not grounds for divorce. 
Uh, be the best Christian that you can be. Uh, be the best witness that you can be. And perhaps by the grace of God, your unbelieving spouse will be won over to the faith. And we have countless examples of that happening as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is very, very practical. Sometimes people just don't think about it. Sometimes people are obstinate in their in their thought process. And they go, my love is greater than this little obscure Bible passage and so they they do it anyway you know for whatever reason they find themselves in this situation this is as practical an advice as you can possibly get and because uh behind it all again to to beat the dead horse is if you're a christian you believe that for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two become one flesh and so if you believe that before you're married, there's nothing more important than to be one flesh with someone who shares your faith. And if you're married and then you find out uh, about Christ and be converted, uh, then you realize you are one flesh with that person. And that's an important thing because it's a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church. And so either case, uh, again, as a Christian, the most important thing is Jesus. And that is the foundation then. What God says about marriage is... Uh, is the starting point for all of these discussions. Pastor, we don't have a lot of time left, but how do you teach this to your children? You've, you've, got, uh, you've got a beautiful family, you've got four young kids, and uh, it's not going to be long before they enter into the dating world. Uh, how does a faithful parent teach these truths? You know, and, and kids are not, uh, little kids are not able to handle the the sexuality and some of these kind of things uh, yet because they're too young. It's too heavy for them. But as they grow and mature, parents have a responsibility to teach the truth of God's word. How do you do that? Well, uh, I think um, (laughs) this is a long, long question with a long answer, so I'll do my best here to get started on it. Uh, husband and wife need to demonstrate this commitment to what God has defined as marriage every day. So they, um, need to, they need to model the Christian faith in their marriage. Correct. Okay. Now, I think, too, um, and this is something, this is a tangential thing, but we're trying to do this with our, our new Sunday school program. Every member of the Christian congregation has to model this for every uh, child growing up in the congregation as well. So that when someone comes to church and participates in the Bible studies and in the liturgy and in the worship, that they see lots of faithfully committed Christians, uh, and they see, okay, this is what the church looks like. This is how Christians interact with one another as well. So it's in the home and in the congregation uh, that Christians do this. Well said, and uh, I don't think we can emphasize this enough, folks. Um, We need to take a break. We'll continue when we come back. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. 
Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We're working our way through 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 16 under the general topic of marriage and uh, specifically sexual ethics. Um, we've covered some, some really important, some really difficult ground, but I think really, really important. There's two things I want to do in this last segment here in episode 21, Pastor. I'm going to let you decide which one we tackle first. We have a lot of, que- or a lot of comment here uh, with regard to making people holy, making people holy. We've touched on it. Maybe we've covered it enough. I don't think we have uh, personally. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. I'm thinking about all the holiness laws in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus, where if you touch an unholy thing, you automatically become unholy. And uh, the God, God is the one the only one who can make you holy once you've become unholy. And then it picks up again in verse 16. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So is this making them holy and saving them? Is that the same thing? Are we talking about two different things here? So that's one topic that I want to cover in this last segment. The other topic is... Verse 15, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or the sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. It is very standard and very common. Verse 15 is used as a proof text to say, if you find yourself in a situation where you are single, divorced, your spouse has separated from you, and there is zero pop, uh, zero op- opportunity for reconciliation. Your spouse has died. Your spouse has remarried. Your spouse is absent and has been absent for quite some time. That the person is free to get remarried. We have a whole CTCR document on that particular verse and that particular topic. So, holy and saved, verse 15, you're free. Uh, I want to cover both of those. We've got about 10 minutes or so uh, to cover both of those topics. So which one do you want to hit first, Pastor? Well, we could start with the first one you talked about, uh, holy and saved. Um, And um, I'd ask the question about the holy one, Pastor Poppy. How do you make something holy? Uh, God is the only one that can holy something, mm-hmm. and God does that uh, by the blood of Jesus, which purifies us or holies us from our sin, First, uh, first John uh, 1, verse 7. And so that's where my immediate thought goes to is with the forgiveness of sins. I, I, I agree, the forgiveness of sins, the blood of Christ, uh, and I would say that that holiness comes to us um, through the means of grace. Absolutely. Would you Word agree? Word and sacrament. Word and sacrament. And so the way that we make an unbelieving spouse holy is by exposing them to 
God's word, uh, and perhaps then even at a later point uh, to the sacraments, baptism, uh, and even further, the Lord's Supper. And so I would say that is the way someone is made holy. By being a Christian spouse, you are exposing your unbelieving spouse to God's word, uh, and that that would be a thing that could make them holy. Now, I would say saved is a little bit different in the sense that uh, it has uh, the the work of the word and the sacraments, um, and I know this is not quite right, but uh, I'd say it's coming to its completion within the person in creating faith. Uh, and there's the saved part, that now they have heard the word and they believe it by the grace of God working in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the first, the first part is more uh, this... Uh, this is a possibility. This can happen. Uh, this holiness, as they are exposed to word and sacrament, uh, through the witness of their believing spouse or believing children. And the last part is talking about this could happen. This really could happen. Your spouse really could believe this and be saved. We're not. We're not talking about. And this is the point that I want to emphasize. We're not talking about my faith, me saving someone else like my faith would have some benefit or efficacious work toward an unbelieving spouse that's not possible correct i would say uh, it's not if a, someone any person outwardly rejects or completely rejects inwardly even um, the work of jesus christ for them that they are condemning themselves, that they have hardened their heart uh, like Pharaoh, uh, and that they are not saved. There's many a country song out there that talks about how I go to the bar and I chase women and I play cards or, or whatever, fill in the blank, but my wife's a church-going woman, so I've got a chance. And that church-going woman's faith is not going to save her pagan spouse. Now, if the pagan spouse would pay a little bit more attention to what the church-going wife is doing, there's a chance that that word may take root in his heart. But other than that, uh, you can't have enough faith personally to save someone else. This is like where the cult of the saints grows from. Right, and, and I'd say uh, that's a reason that God allows us to grow old and weak and our, our bodies fall apart uh, in this world so that all those things that your uh, fictitious country singer, uh, drinker, alcoholic guy uh, is in love with in this world, eventually he'll fall out of love with them, and all that will be left is this thing that his wife has been talking about for her entire life. Excellent point. Excellent point. All right, I want to make sure we have time here, Pastor. Verse 15 is uh, an important verse. It's a verse that is sometimes terribly abused, and it's a verse that sometimes is forgotten, uh, and consciences are bound unnecessarily. Vicar, First uh, Corinthians seven fifteen. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Pastor, what does this mean? Well, we've talked about how it is the Christian's goal to be the faithful spouse. Um, but we have to control our controllables, the things that are within our own uh, realm of uh, control. And we can't make someone else 
commit to a marriage. We can't force someone else to stay in a marriage. Uh, And so what do you do if your unbelieving spouse just decides they've had it and they leave? You can't control that. Uh, And so in that case, um, it's not like (laughs) you... uh, you have to act like you're married for the rest of your life, even though your spouse has moved to Toledo or whatever. You know what I mean? There, there are, in practical sense, um, these difficulties across the board. And this is just one example of many of them. I, I think you could say, too, like if your spouse uh, is um, a drug addict and even, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of things we could do in that regard. Okay. Well, we, we, want, to, we want to make sure people know what this passage says. And we want to make sure that they know what it doesn't say. Is this a blanket way out for anyone who is separated or divorced for God giving them permission to get remarried? No. And I think that the danger is is that you you just um, would justify it to yourself by saying, well, the problem's entirely theirs because they're a pagan heretic and uh, I'm completely innocent of it. And that would be unchristian as well. We would want to confess the sin that is our sin where it is. And we want to say that it's very sad and terrible that for whatever reason, the marriage hasn't worked out. Uh, But we can't use this exception to the rule uh, to be the justification for our sin. We need to let Christ be the justification for our sin. So this verse is not blanket approval for uh, getting divorced and getting remarried. What this verse does talk about is it talks about a freedom. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, in such cases, the brother or sister, meaning the Christian, is not enslaved. Now, to not be enslaved is to be free. And then it goes on. God has called you to peace. And so, pastor, if... Someone, uh, someone finds themselves divorced, their unbelieving spark partner leaves and gets remarried, is remarried to someone else. We as a church body in our CTCR document have said they, are, they don't have to remarry, but they are free. They are free to take another spouse or free not to take a spouse and remain uh, single. Now, in light of the earlier verses that we talked about, that, that has always made me just a little bit uneasy. Uh, but uh, this is the official position of the church body that we belong to, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. Um, comments on that? I think that's not exactly what Paul is saying. Uh, I, I think the, the part about you're just free then to go do what you want to do, I, I'm never a big fan of saying that. <laughs> Um, What I would say, when Paul says uh, God has called us to peace, uh, we need to remember the place where peace comes from. And so I think of uh, the Gospel of John when Jesus shows up to the locked room uh, on the night of the resurrection and he says, Peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and his feet and his side and says again, Peace be with you. That tells us where the peace of God comes from, the wounds of the resurrected Christ that covers all of our sin. And so... If our spouse leaves us and we are divorced, it doesn't mean we're automatically going to hell. It doesn't mean we're condemned to uh, eternal torture or the second death. We have a peace that comes from God in Jesus that covers all sin. And if our faith is in Christ, 
then uh, every sin that we have done is forgiven, and we can find that peace uh, even in these terrible situations. Now again, um, we want to take and uphold all of Scripture. If we struggle, if we're burning with sin then as a result, and we are... uh, really having a rough go of it, then yeah, maybe we should be remarried. Uh, but Paul says it's maybe best if we're not. And and that's that's an exception. And we can't always make the exception the rule. And that's the challenge. And, and we need to be very clear that we don't make hard and fast rules with these kind of situations either. Pastor, based on 1 Corinthians seven fifteen, if a Christian's spouse dies, are they free to remarry? Well, I think um, I would go to a different place. I think our our Lord addresses this uh, when he talks about how in the resurrection there will not be marriage. Uh, And I would say that if the spouse dies, you are free to remarry. Um, Again, with the same conditions and promises and upholding of the definition of marriage that we had before, knowing that death is the thing that does dissolve uh, all fleshly attachments, not just to our body, but as well to our spouse. And so if a spouse dies, you are free to remarry, uh, so long as you still uphold the marriage as the way God defined it. Wow, we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of uh, difficult issues, but very, very important issues as well. God's gift of marriage is definitely a gift. It is to be upheld. God's gift of sexuality uh, to be used inside of that gift of marriage. And uh, we pray that this discussion of 1 Corinthians 7 has been a blessing. This is Equipping the Saints, episode 21. We'll be back again soon. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.